and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about corn herbicides. Now, even if you don't raise corn, just understand that many of the herbicides we'll talk about can also be used on other crops. So we'll talk about that throughout the day. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening right now in your operation, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email. Uh, we are going to, uh, oh, and by the way, our email address is radio at agphd.com. Pretty complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Again, radio at agphd.com. Took a creative person to think of that. <laughs> yep. But uh, anyway, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. I, I, I will say this with the early planting that does seem to be happening throughout much of the United States anyway, the northern part of the country, we're going to be way ahead of normal for planting. Uh, there is this tendency to say, well, it's going so good, let's just get it all done and we'll worry about the herbicide later. Look, weeds can rob lots of yield and with commodity prices where they're at today, you don't want to risk it. Just take a little bit of extra time, get the herbicide out and preferably even get the herbicide out before you plant so then you know it's done then you're definitely in good shape. But with a lot of these corn herbicides, at least it's different than the soybean herbicides. The soybean herbicides, you can't spray most of those pre's early post. With the corn herbicides, you can technically spray many of them early post. We'll talk about that today, but we still want you putting them out there pre. The earlier you get them out there, the better early weed control you have. And with that, the better yield you're typically going to have. So anyway, we'll be discussing corn herbicides throughout the show, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Hey, Brian, got a couple of questions here from Wes in Minnesota. He said you guys are always talking about a minimum of two times ROI. Curious how you think about pop-up fertilizer in corn versus not. A lot of studies say it's it's perhaps a hit or miss financially. Just wondering if you find that it pays or if it's more like emergence insurance for you. And then I've got a population question for you too. Okay, so does it pay for us? If it didn't, we wouldn't do it. And we've run a lot of trials on this over the years. Now, we don't do trials every year on every single thing we do. Once we feel like we've proven it enough, then we think we're pretty good. But let me tell you a quick story about Francis Childs even back when he was raising 400 bushel corn like 25 years ago. He was using pop-up fertilizer and it was still paying for him on 400 bushel corn and fertility levels off the charts. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, in high fertilizer ground, it isn't going to pay. No, a lot of times it still does pay because let's face it, we're out there planting corn right now. Today, our soil temp is 40 degrees. Even if the soil temp was 50 degrees, there is a lot of fertilizer in the ground that's just simply not available at that point. So by having it a little bit to get you going, I'm not saying putting 10 gallons in, but I am saying one to three gallons in furrow. Absolutely. It, it should normally pay you a good ROI as long as you're using the right product at the right rate. And, you know, we like blending it off with a little water, inject it right, all that kind of stuff. I would also say throw in some micronutrients that very often can help improve your ROI. And then the last thing you got to calculate in your ROI 
is how dry that corn is in the fall. We still, to this day, find that when we use pop-up fertilizer, we'll have usually 1% drier corn in the fall. Our dad always used to talk about 2% drier corn in the fall. I haven't seen 2% as much as I've seen 1%. But even 1% on 240 bushel corn, think about the drying savings with that. That alone pays for a good portion of that fertilizer in furrow. All right. Then Wes's other question, he said, I was reading in the Ag PhD Insider magazine, your article on variable rate population, and you mentioned shooting for seven to 10 bushels for every thousand corn seeds you plant. I'm wondering if you figure that off the population you plant or if you figure that off harvestable ears. Well, Wes, of course, we want those two numbers to be almost identical. (laughs) We want everything we put in the ground to survive. It doesn't. I mean, there's no... There's no guarantee you're going to get 100%, but we just figure it off what we plant. We we hope that it's going to be awfully close to that. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Uh, Get this one from Lee, and he said, I've been been watching your show, listening to your radio show, just finished burning down my cover crops. I was planning on applying the three pre-program, but on one of my fields, I'm planning to plant grass hay, Timothy, in the fall after the beans come off. So I'm planting an early bean in this particular field, and I was concerned about the residual of the prowl component in your three pre's. I farm land by a large creek, so I'm no-till. Just wondering what advice you would have for a pre-program in this situation. And he is in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so using Metribuzin is still fine. Valor is still fine. There's no problem with that Timothy this fall. The problem is with prowl, and what I would do, i just cut the rate back. I. So you reduce the rate, use a half rate or something like that. And now you've at least got some weed control, but you're not going to have nearly as much herbicide sticking around till the end of the season. But as always, we have to tell you, follow the label. And if you look on the label and it won't allow you to do that, then you might just have to skip that and go with a group 15. But even there, make sure you're checking the label. Worst case scenario, you're just going to have to use more post products like let's say for example select max or roundup or dicamba or 24d i mean products that just don't have very much residual all right and that ties right into the next question this comes from ross in indiana he said i've got one farm that always seems to have water hemp problems and i can't seem to ever get them all i've been burning down with roundup and 24d following with Liberty post-emerge in season, but I generally have a few weeds that get through. I'm planting enlist beans and just wondering, what would you use pre to get more residual to control the water hemp? Uh, okay, so when he said burning down, I assume then we're talking no-till. So we would say Prowl, Metribuzin, and then either Valor or Authority. I don't care which one, either one is going to be fine. But you do Prowl, Metribuzin, and Valor or Authority, you will right there get 99% of your water hemp. Then you can come post-emerge with Enlist. Then you can come with Liberty. You got lots of great options. You will get all those water hemp under control if you're spraying timely. All right, knocked a couple of soybean herbicide questions out of the way because we're talking corn herbicides on today's Ag PhD radio show. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is profitability and boosting yours no matter what the season brings is the goal of DeKalb brand corn backed by exclusive genetics whole farm solutions and unmatched dealer support let nothing shake your perseverance ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance always read and follow IRM where applicable grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions Back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about corn herbicides, and oh man, are we getting tons of herbicide questions now as the planters are rolling in the upper Midwest. A lot of corn going to the ground, a lot of farmers thinking that, man, we got to get some weed control out there and do a great job. And when we talk about some of the different integrated weed management programs out there, there are just a lot of components. We've got Tom Wood with us right now with Belshamon to talk through this. Tom, thanks for joining us. Oh, great to be here. How are you doing today? You know, we're doing pretty well, and we've got corn that is going in the ground. It'll be coming up soon, and so will the weeds. We know they're coming. So talking about some of the integrated weed management programs that growers could use, can you talk about some of the ways that, that growers could maximize their efficiency as they're heading out there to control weeds this year? Yeah, you know, I there's a lot of good chemistries out there, and uh, a lot of the big ones have uh, resistance issues. So, and I always say there's nothing new under the sun. So we have to think about ways to extend the life of what we have or make what we have work better, which gets to the weed management programs. And this is why I always am beating the drum on tough 5EC, which is our product, um, that, uh, we've talked about before, but it's another mode of action in the tank. So it's another tool and that's part of a good weed management program. It improves the efficiency of your uh, tank mix. It synergizes with HPPDs. It enhances the performance of atrazine. So you're adding a, a good product that improves the performance of your weed management program. We mentioned helping out the HPPDs, and, and earlier you are talking about there's resistance issues out there, which, which growers are pretty aware of on glyphosate, that, okay, I know I'm missing some of the key weeds with my glyphosate now, but we're starting to see the same thing happen with some of these HPPDs. So adding another mode of action with the HPPDs is, is a big deal. So talk to us about that mix. What, what, have, you, what have you seen? You, you mentioned there's 
some synergy there with the HPPDs. Can you talk about that just a little bit? I can, and, I, and I'd like to keep it in sim- simple terms. So tough, the tough active ingredient is pyridate, and pyridate increases the free radicals that disrupt cell membranes that cause cells to collapse and the plant to start to die. The HPPDs reduce the plant's ability to detoxify the free radicals. So it's a nice one-two punch, and I call it this way. Pyridate increases the uh, herbicide's ability to go on offense, and the HPPDs reduce the ability of the plants or the uh, ability of the plant to play defense. So it's a nice little uh, uh, combination, and we do show synergistic effects from a scientific level that shows that. So it's a nice one-two punch. Now, the other thing, it works well. The other thing, Tom, that I don't think you talk about enough is we got so many growers out there asking about, hey, I'm going to come back with a cover crop at the end of the season here, and I don't want to have any issues with my cover crop. Tough would be a great product to use in the program. It's not going to impact cover crops later in the fall. Absolutely. It's a double-edged sword for us, but uh, Tough has no residual. So you use your normal residuals, and if that works well for you, adding tough doesn't impact that at all. So putting in a cover crop afterwards, not a big deal. We get a lot of questions on water hemp, Tom, but we also get questions about some of the other weeds out there like kochia and lamb's quarters. What do you see in terms of control on weeds like those? You know, we went out early with tough and said very good on water hemp, very good on palmer um, and kochia. And we expected to get early orders in, uh, you know, against Waterhamp and Palmer. But really, our early orders came, and the uh, retailers were saying, it's going on kosher, we got a big problem. So we were very happy that Tough was being used against kosher. Um, and we knew it would work because we've been in Section 18s on Mint and addressing kosher and Lamb's Quarter. Um, up in the Pacific Northwest. So it works very well against those weeds also. Yeah, it's fun to to have some different products to talk about when we look at corn herbicides and fighting all the weeds that are out there. Tough 5EC is is an exciting one to try as well. Uh, We're talking with Tom Wood here with Belsham. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, everybody talks about water hemp, and I get it. Water hemp and, and the pigweed species are really big, and I, I think it's really key, like Thomas talking about kochia there, that there are some other tough weeds out there that, that we want to get under control. And depending on your crop rotation and where you're at, uh, it might not just be pigweed out there. There might be some other things going on in the field. Brian, when we talk about corn herbicides, I think about group 15s, HPPDs, and then really everything else. It seems like almost everyone we talk to is using a group 15 and, and using an HPPD. Yeah. I, I mean, I also would think about atrazine. I think about dicamba. So yeah, there are definitely a few others that are in there, but group 15s are certainly the most popular pre that's going to get used at this time of year. We've got Travis Gustafson with us right now with Syngenta down in Nebraska. Does that sound about right, Travis? I think that covered most of the state of Nebraska, didn't it? HBBDs, atrazine, group 15s, maybe a little dicamba in there. That pretty much covers the whole spectrum. Yeah, can you guys hear me? I got momentarily disconnected there. Oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. We can hear you just okay, fine. Okay, good, good. Um, yeah, that pretty much covers the, covers the bill here uh, for what, the, what we run down here in Nebraska. 
Okay, so going into this year, I know you got a lot of different tools that that you can use going out there this season, and we get so many growers that say, "Man, the one pass thing, I'm I've got too much weed pressure. I definitely am going to have to come back with two. So, how do you structure that when you know you're making that two pass approach? Well, uh, first of all, we like to start clean, and I think starting clean is a big challenge this year because. Um, you know, if you got some winter annuals coming in or your cover crop and you're trying to burn it down, I don't know about you guys, but our weather down here has been awful cold and yeah. I'm glad to say it's just not going to work very well. So, um, it's been a struggle to get to that start clean phase before you can even think about putting down your residual. Um, but yeah, we like to, to structure in a, a group 15, um, residual. I like to have more than one mode of action though, when I'm going, um, residual wise. So. Group 15 plus atrazine or a HPPD inhibitor um, or all three would be even better. Um, get that down pre, let it establish as a residual, and then um, I, you know, we're, we're doing more calendar date sprays just because of the Palmer problem. Uh, we can't wait for it to get up. we got to keep that residual going and overlap that. Those same modes of action overlap them again as a post-product, as a post post-program. I'm really glad you said that. we got to get out in front of this thing. We'd prefer not to see those weeds at all. And, you know, of course, across the state of Nebraska and much of the corn growing region in our country, we've got irrigated ground, we've got dry land ground. And, and when you get through uh, the end of 2020, where a lot of guys in the West were pretty dry, the dry land farmers a little nervous. Irrigated guys, hey, we can always water it in if we need to. Are you offering anything different up for guys in the dry land situation that are really worried about getting dry again this year different recommendations um it's we still have to make sure we got that residual program i guess then you're going to rely more on a, a post-emerge burn down when it's post-emerge to the weeds um but uh we typically especially with group 15 they can sit on top of the soil surface for a, a decent amount of time and get watered in later so we usually just put those residuals down and then um, on the dry land, guys just wait for a rain and don't usually see a, uh, a problem with performance in those situations. You know, going into this year, there's just a, a lot of optimism out there with growers that say, man, we've got a nice corn price right now. We just need to create some bushels. Are there some extra things you've seen guys cut back on in previous years that you'd say, hey, this is your year to do things the best way possible? Um, well, I think... Uh, they're, they're looking a little bit uh, at some stronger herbicide programs. I think a lot of people in the past, uh, you know, when prices weren't as great, they, uh, you know, you're making cuts all across the board. You're making cuts in fertility, cuts on seed, cuts on herbicide costs just to make it go. This year, I think we people are looking at, you know, more robust herbicide programs. Um, you know, the, the Syngenta portfolio We've got excellent crop safety, and I think that's a, a wonderful way to bring more bushels at the end of the season is to um, have a good, safe herbicide that's going to be effective and, and useful throughout the season. Totally agree, Travis. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines group 14 and group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. 
Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5-8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about corn herbicides. And you know, as much trouble as we have in some of the broadleaf crops trying to kill the broadleaf weeds, we have to do an awesome job in corn. And then add to that this year, the opportunity that farmers have got with market prices being up uh, and another good day on the board, as far as I'm concerned, being somebody growing corn, that's awesome. Uh, so I want to do a great job and get lots of bushels. So We've got Charlie Cahoon on with, with us right now with North Carolina State University. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you all again for having me on. You bet. You bet. Okay, so we're talking weed control in corn. Let me ask you this. Everybody that we talk to wants to focus on the broadleaf weeds. How about grass? Have you got any troublesome grass weeds that when you are planting corn in North Carolina, you say, man, you got to make sure you take care of this? Absolutely. Um, starting burn down. The, the call that we've gotten the most this spring burn down has been Italian ryegrass. Uh, we have a part of the, the state that's traditionally had 
a lot of resistance to ryegrass, ALS resistance, ACCH resistance, where they've been, you know, growing a lot of small grains. Uh, and they've been using glyphosate for a long time, and, and now we're finding that, that glyphosate's not working on the ryegrass. And so everybody switched to galoxone, and, and we're actually having some difficulties controlling it with galoxone in some spot. So uh, that's really been dominated the conversation this, this early spring is trying to get the ryegrass out of the field before we, we plant our corn. All right, when we talk when, we, when we, we talk to those small yeah. grain farmers in your state, Charlie, they they just swear by Zidua. They say, "Oh, thank goodness we got Zidua. That's really helped us on the Italian rye." Are you seeing that in the the corn as well? That a group fifteen like a Zidua could really help. Well, it's a totally different situation. Um, but it's absolutely great residual. The group fifteens all around work well on ryegrass. But in that part of the world where they have bad ryegrass, there's a lot of topography. So outside of a winter small grains, you know, if they do a fall residual and they leave that ground bare all winter, they're going to end up with all their topsoil in the in in the river. So gotcha. um, that would be a great situation. That would be something good to, to do where we're having issues with their resistant ryegrass. And that's one thing that we're absolutely looking at. But folks are resistant to do it because they just can't have the land fallow all winter, or it's all, we're going to lose all our topsoil. So, okay, it's going to be a complicated, a complicated answer to a complicated question for sure. Yep, yep. So Italian ryegrass, probably the number one grass weed that you got. On the broadleaf side, how much trouble do you guys have taking out Palmer and and the different pigweed species in corn in North Carolina? Uh, actually, you know, we have a lot of palmer pigweed, this, you know, glyphosate and ALS resistance and now PPO resistant. Thankfully in corn, atrazine still works on the bulk of our pigweed species here in the state. So I tell our folks that atrazine has got to be the foundation of our programs. Um, in most situations up front, we need to use atrazine plus a group 15, um, like you know, bicep or, you know, just mixing your zigil with atrazine or outlook or wherever you want to go with your group 15 or even your harness or warrant. Uh, and then, you know, uh, if we do have pigweed, a lot of folks use Halex GT plus a little more atrazine um, for some additional uh, post-emergence activity with the Callisto in there uh, and then some residual with the, the, the group 15 as well. So that's kind of where we're at with pigweed. Thankfully, again, the atrazine still works. Um, you know, is, and you know, we'll keep riding that horse until you know. Uh, hopefully, it lasts for some while while we're using the other group, the other modes of action. Um, but as of right now, I would say we're in a good position in corn for, for Palmer management. Okay, talk to us about cover crops, Charlie. You mentioned the the concern about erosion. I would assume that there's quite a few farmers in your area using cover crops, trying to hold that down, and and then coming into green cover crop in the spring. What are you seeing in those situations? I would assume that you're seeing less weed pressure there, but but kind of wanted to ask the question and see what you're seeing. Yeah, so we, we have a lot of conservation tillage in the state, and a lot of that land gets a cover crop. Um, now, I will say we, we have a lot of wheat that's put out as a cover crop, so we're not maximizing biomass on those acres from a weed control standpoint. Um, really, we've been talking about, you know, folks are, you know, one of the benefits of cover crops is weed control, and, and if that's what they're after, we want them to produce as much biomass as possible. So 
cereal rye is kind of what we've been you know suggesting for managing the, the summer weeds like pigweed and ragweed and things like that um so we've been trying to, to get folks to think about cover crops in a little bit different man- manner in regards to managing weeds and producing a lot of biomass that may mean planting a little earlier or putting a little fertilizer on it to again maximize production or delay termination um you know the planting green has started to gain a little traction um and we're finding that that works really well you know the cover crops um they're not going to completely replace herbicides but they do work very well in tandem and what we you know what we've seen from not only stuff here in north carolina but our collaborators to the south um is that the cover crops can really you know minimize the number of pigweed or ragweed or whatever weed species we're going after um that are exposed to our post herbicides and you know resistance is a numbers game so if we can limit the number of those weeds that are exposed to our you know our 24d our dicamba or liberty and even roundup you know we we can put ourselves in a much better position long term as far as you know avoiding future development of herbicide resistant weeds Absolutely. We're talking to Charlie Cahoon down at North Carolina State University. Charlie, this was excellent. We really enjoyed the chat here. We'll love to have you back on again another time, and good luck you're heading into the spring. Yeah, thank y'all. Y'all take care. Brian, a lot, of, a lot of stuff there that Charlie brought up. And, you know, when we think about, hey, this herbicide doesn't work as well anymore, and he mentioned, well, now we've got this one and that one, and thank goodness atrazine is still providing some help. I just like the message that, hey, we're putting out a bunch of different things. We're trying to work in cover crops. We're doing uh, different uh, farming practices out there, everything we can, throwing everything at these weeds to try to knock them out. Well, yes, but when you say everything we can, one of the things that we can do to help the corn herbicides is not use them in soybeans. So in soybeans now, though, I see a lot of guys using group 15s that they use all the time in corn. I see a lot of people using dicamba, which they use all the time in corn. So, you know, where is it going to stop? There's There are now HPPD-tolerant soybeans. Are we going to use HPPDs in beans? I mean, that's a surefire way to kill HPPDs. So we got to at least be smart about when and where we're using these products. So just as an example, we talk all the time about, and we did earlier in the show even, about the the yellows being used in soybeans, prowl or trifluralin. Well, the reason why we talk about that so much and encourage you to do that on your farm is because you're not going to use those in corn. You can't use them in corn. So if you're in a corn-soybean rotation, we just as soon have you use soybean products and soybeans, corn products on corn, and not intermingle them as much. Or if you want to intermingle them, then just make sure you're using multiple effective modes of action every time. Because don't ever forget, a dead weed can't become a resistant weed. So as long as you control all the weeds on your farm... Honestly, I don't really care how you do it as long as you've got a good crop left at the end and you haven't hurt your crop. But I'm just trying to say the more products you can use that are unique to soybeans in soybeans and unique to corn in corn, the better off you're going to be. And I like how Charlie put that too. If we can save our Liberty, save our Dicamba, save our 2,4-D and utilize those in the soybeans as additional options, rather than throwing all those things out there on the corn portion of our rotation, man, we've just extended our window of how long we're going to go with current chemistries out there and still do a great job on the weeds. Yep. So I I just think it's important that 
right now, even though we aren't having a lot of problems killing weeds in corn, we don't ruin our good corn herbicides. So make sure you're using appropriate rates, make sure you're getting all the weeds under control, and try to use multiple effective modes of action, and we should be in good shape for a long time. Getting a lot of questions in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. We're going to get to those coming up next. If you have an agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got an email here from Lachlan down in Australia. He said, this is my third year running the family farm. Big fan of your show. Been listening to your radio show religiously the last few years. Hey, thanks, Lachlan. Really appreciate that. He said, I, I inherited a farm that hasn't had much for soil testing done so we did some one acre grids prior to planting potatoes we're growing potatoes as our main crop but also sorghum barley pumpkins and on better rainfall years sweet corn or field corn we normally get 30 inches of rain however in 2018 we got 16 inches 2019 we got nine inches and 2020 we got 18 inches so we've been in a drought for a while our sodium and chloride levels are rising and our well water quality is becoming worse. We get really hot here, uh, up to 113 degrees Fahrenheit during the summer. So we're trying to irrigate to to keep that water going. Anyway, we've attached two base fertilizer blends for you to take a look at. We were suggested to apply those at 700 pounds per acre. And also just wondering if you think that would work for our soils and for our Yield goals of 12 to 15 tons per acre of potatoes. One other note, he said we did put on a couple tons to the acre of gypsum about six months before these soil samples were taken. Thanks, Lachlan. We appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, he had so much stuff in here. I I missed the blend that he wanted to put on, so I was just taking a quick look at that. So give me... Give me one second here. I, I'll, I'll say this. The first two problems I saw were sodium and magnesium. So what that generally says to me is drainage is poor. It also says, <clears throat> yes, to his point, irrigation water quality is concerning. Something's got to be done about that because honestly, I mean, we're up to, what is this here, 5% sodium in a base saturation test. Five, not 0.5, five. Um, you're, we're, we're getting dangerously close to dead soil. So that is my number one concern. Uh, so I, I don't know what things are like down there. I just know this. If I had this exact ground, here's exactly what I would do. The first dollar I spend before I spend money on anything else would be in tile. Now, your ground has a lot of magnesium, like 40 plus percent magnesium. So your cation exchange capacity is going to be overstated. A lot of these cation exchange capacities are showing 40 plus. Realistically, it's probably 30 or 35. But the point is, it's real heavy soil. So again, I'm just going to tell you, if this was sitting on my farm with my weather conditions, I would put tile in the ground. That's the first money I'd spend. The second money I would spend would go toward potassium where you're down around 2% base saturation K. That's too low for fantastic yields, good standability. I don't care what crop we're talking about. Uh, a lot of the micronutrients are just a little on the low side. Your, your tests don't show that they're like super low or anything, but they're a little bit on the low side other than boron, which again ties back to the poor drainage that I'm suggesting that you have. So I, I, if it's me... I'm going to fix that drainage thing. Now, the reason why I I would do that first is you've got all that sodium. But the encouraging thing is there's all kinds of sulfur also sitting in your ground. Now, sulfur is leachable. So that tells me that 
this isn't just a water quality issue. This is a drainage issue. Once you fix the drainage, now that sulfur is going to end up being sulfate. It's going to bind with your sodium to form sodium sulfate, and it's going to bind with your excess magnesium to form magnesium sulfate, and both of those are salts. They're leachable. They'll flush out of the soil with your irrigation and with your rainfall. So in my opinion, that's what should be addressed. All right. Thanks for the questions, Lachlan. We really appreciate that. And if you have any more, you can certainly email us. We'd be happy to, to go into some more detail there too. Yeah. And I, I, I would just say this. When it's it, it's your third year running the farm and you're going, oh my goodness, we've never tiled before. And I don't know if that's common in your area. It's not. I have no idea. But I, I know this. Anything we suggest here on the show, we always will tell you, hey, try it on a small scale, prove it on your farm, and then take it from there. But if you took even a, a, a small area, put tile in the ground, and then you continue testing it over the next five years, you're going to see that sodium level go down. You're going to see your overall productivity go up. And this is a long-term thing. And so here's where I'm going with this. This is your third year farming. But imagine if, let's say, your kids go into the farm. By their third year farming, they're going to go, wow, I'm glad my parents, my family fixed the drainage issue. So now I don't have to deal with it. And now I don't have dead soil because what's going to happen in your lifetime, if you don't fix that drainage thing, my concern, and maybe it won't turn out this way, but my concern is over your lifetime of farming, that sodium problem is only going to get worse. And then that's what you pass on to your kids. And then you're not going to be happy with that. They're not going to be happy with that. And productivity on this whole farm is going to go down. All right. Thanks for the questions. This one comes from David and he said, when you spray alfalfa for aphids and other bugs before cutting, when is it safe to feed cattle either by grazing or by baling? Hey, thanks for the question, David. You know, when you look at the, the different labels of these insecticide products, there are some differences depending on which insecticide you choose. So there isn't just one answer here of, oh yeah, any insecticide out there, here's what it is. So what we look at, and Brian, tell me if you see anything different. I would look at the pre-harvest interval as a good indication of which products I'd, I'd maybe want to wait a little bit longer before I do things. Well, that, but I mean, it will literally tell you right on the label about grazing restrictions, pre-harvest restrictions restrictions. And if, if you just follow that, you're going to be in good shape. But yeah, yeah there is a, a, a difference, but usually we're talking seven to 14 yeah, days so, in advance of cutting. So but, I'll just give you a few examples. So Mustang Max, three days pre-harvest interval. Warrior or Silencer, one day pre-harvest interval for forage, seven day pre-harvest interval for hay. Bathrate, seven day pre-harvest interval. And then you look at some of the Lorsban products, whether it's Lorsban or Cobalt, you've got anywhere from seven to 21 days, depending on what rate you use out there. Now, I'm glad this came up now because a lot of the first cuttings in our region of the country are going to occur in mid to late May. And what generally happens is this, guys go out and they cut and then they go, ooh, I see a lot of bugs out there. Now what do I do? <laughs> Or should, like, I, should I spray oh. the rest of my fields? And then, well, when are you going to cut them? Tomorrow. Right. Oh, well. That's the problem. You, so, should, you should really look at, okay, if you need at least seven days ahead, maybe a couple weeks before you're going to cut, get out with a sweep net. That's exactly right. So you should, our advice is always to do a mid-cut or I don't know how to phrase that, inspection. So in other words, if you're, let's say, on a 30-day schedule, every 30 days you're planning on cutting, halfway in between that, 
uh, 30 days, that's when you got to be out in your fields. That way it still gives you a few days. You can get some of these treatments done if you need to, and then you're in good shape. And by the way, when you're spraying insecticide, you certainly can use some foliar fertilizer. You could use some fungicide. You could use some biological products. There are a lot of other things that could be thrown in there that could help. Oh, and I forgot plant growth hormones as well. So lots of things can help alfalfa. There's no reason why you can't, and I'm dead serious about this, double the production in your alfalfa fields with fantastic and timely management. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, David. Got this one from Nathan. He said, if we use elemental sulfur to lower the soil pH... Would you expect the pH to hold that lower level, or will it gradually come back up to where it was before, like, say, in three to five years? Our current pH is 7.8 to 7.9, with our CEC around 30. If you have fixed all the things that caused your pH to go high in the first place, then it will stay down. If you have not fixed all the things that caused your pH to go high, then it's going to come right back up again. So we got to take a look at what's causing the problem. If you want to send us your soil test, we'd be more than happy to take a look at that. Most of the time when we start talking high pH, here are the typical causes. Number one, poor drainage. Number two, high magnesium. Number three, high sodium. Uh, number four, you've had lots of soil erosion, so now you're actually in down into the subsoil rather than being in the topsoil, and you got to build new topsoil. And number five is poor irrigation water quality. So if you've fixed all those things and anything else, any other nutrient imbalances, anything, because that pH, your high pH, could simply be a cause of nutrient imbalance in the soil. So have you fixed every single micronutrient? Have you fixed your sulfur? Have you fixed your potassium? All these things. If you've gotten all that done, your pH will stay down. All right, we'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Aralax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from FarmShop MFG. The Germinator Spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. 
But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Mark from Maryland did. He said, my question for you is about high calcium levels in soil. Uh, I've got a local farmer who's been using chicken layer manure for about 20 years, and this material differs from the regular broiler manure in that it has much higher calcium levels. He's used high rates in order to get enough phosphorus out there, so he's been putting on three tons per acre. Since doing this, his calcium to magnesium ratio is now all the way up to as high as seven to one. He feels he needs to cut way back on the application of this layer of manure and would like to know of some magnesium materials that you might suggest to start building his magnesium levels up. The pH is at six three to six five, so dolomitic lime doesn't seem like a great option. Nope. Uh, it would take a lot of KMAG though to move the needle, I'm afraid, as his soils have a CEC of eight to ten and three percent organic matter. He's raising irrigated corn and has attained a yield potential in the 300 bushel range. So he has raised some really good crops anyway. Just wondering what you would do and if you would try to address this issue. Yeah, I here here's the thing. We talk often about calcium and magnesium. Unfortunately, we have not been able to prove that that should be your first dollar spent. In other words, you, I, I'm always looking at drainage. I'm looking at uh, NPK, I'm looking at sulfur, I'm looking at micronutrients, and then eventually I go, you know what, the calcium-magnesium thing, we probably better invest some more dollars into that. Okay, I, The exception, of course, is with pH. But in in your case, you, you told us the ratio, but what you didn't tell us was how low these magnesium levels are percentage-wise on a base saturation test. My guess is you're down into the single digits now, probably 6 or 8 for magne percent magnesium. So at that level, I don't know that I would worry about it all that much I, in terms of, oh, i got to fix it all in one shot. But what I would do is you, met, you brought up KMAG, for example. Okay, that's one option. I would maybe consider using some magnesium sulfate. Uh, that would be Epsom salts, basically. But use some magnesium sulfate at side dress time, maybe even twice 
in season, something like that. Just supplement a little bit with magnesium because the odds are high that your plants are just a little bit short and you are going to be running into some deficiencies, but you don't have to go completely nuts on this. Although, if you had, with that light soil you've got, 8 to 10 CEC, if you had more magnesium in the soil, then you would be able to hold moisture better. And long term, we do think that would be a good thing. So I, I, I'm, I'm not saying don't apply magnesium. I'm just saying you got to think about it a little bit in terms of how many dollars you have to spend and do anything you can to find any magnesium source and try some stuff, not just early and get your K-Mag out early, but do some in-season magnesium applications. And I think it's going to be beneficial for you. All right. Thanks for the questions. Got this from Lee and he's up in Southern Alberta. He said, uh, hey guys, love your show. We got another shot of snow in southern Alberta and we farm near the foothills. Looks like more snow potentially coming this weekend. So we got a little more time to nail down my fertility options. I use a single shoot, usually putting down 100 pounds of product with my seed. And I know that sounds like a lot, but we just haven't had a lot of bad effects from that. We're usually spreading the rest before or after seeding, depending on the weather window. So I sent in uh, a soil sample for you guys to take a look at. Okay, so pH 7.1, organic matter 4.4%, cation exchange capacity 24, calcium 81%, magnesium 15%. Here's the biggest problem I see. Your K is only at 2 to 3%. You need more potassium. Um, I didn't see on here. Well, Darren, did you know what, what his uh, phosphorus levels were? Uh, I didn't. I didn't pick that out yet. Okay. So I the print was really small. So I that's, am. That's our sister, Brian. Janelle prints that out, and she just wants oh, to make fine. sure it's it's a challenge. Got for it you. all on. Got it all on one page here. But I, yeah, I'm just I'm looking to see. Uh, oh, good grief! Is this right? Yep, it looks right. Thirteen pounds per acre of phosphorus. I mean, that's got to get addressed. That that that's really, 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 really. So when really, you say really you're putting a really hundred pounds on, I guess uh, you don't say of what, right? And so, so I'm assuming you've got an NPK okay. blend, perhaps. Okay. Here, here, here's here's the thing. I, I'm looking at it and I see everything low. So phosphorus, I mean, you're off the charts low. Potassium, we already said you're low. Uh, zinc, 0.8. That's that's really, really, really low. You got to get that up. Boron, you're at 0.4 parts per million. Copper, you're at 0.9 parts per million. So all those things are are just really low. Now, if you say, well, guys, I can't spend that much money. You don't necessarily have to, but you got to put out more than the crop's going to use and don't just look at NP and K. Get some micronutrients out there too. There are plenty of micronutrient blends that'll at least help you on your zinc, your boron, and your copper deficiencies because right now you're just, it's not there. I mean, that's, you're just, you're really low. Oh, and, and I forgot to mention sulfur. Sulfur, you got, uh, let's see, seven pounds per acre. So that's not going to cut it. Small grain needs lots of sulfur. And the nice thing with sulfur and boron and nitrogen is you could broadcast those and they will get down into the soil. So when we talk things like phosphorus, zinc, copper, potassium in, in that heavy soil, 
yeah, it's not going anywhere. So it is a good idea to get it down into the soil. But the, like I say, the nitrogen, the sulfur, the boron, you certainly could broadcast that stuff if you wanted to. You don't have to go completely nuts on rates or anything. But I, I'm just suggesting you do more of a balanced blend or, you know, multiple different fertilizer products out there because you're so short on so many things. Sorry. All right. Well, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Oh, and as I say that, by the way, Darren and I have been there where we look at a soil test, especially with some new ground we'll pick up, and we go, oh my goodness, we're literally short on every single thing there is. This oh, stinks. Yeah. That's not this uncommon stinks. here. That's not uncommon. Right, right. And, you know, we've we've approached it two different ways. One way is, and this is the way where I'm at now with a lot of ground that we buy, I just say, the heck with it. I don't care if it costs $300 an acre. I'm fixing it all right now because I think it's going to pay. Or we have handled it as, you know what, we're going to do a uh, build program and we're going to do it over five years or eight years or whatever. Either way, that's up to you. Either way will work. I mean, personally, I put, prefer to put it all out in one shot, but that's just me. Uh, but you got to get on some kind of build program and it's got to be a balanced program because if you say, okay, well, the guy said I was lowest on phosphorus, so I'm just going to go crazy on phosphorus. Well, you know what? Now you're going to create even more issues with zinc and copper. So just get more of a balanced product out there and you'll be in good shape. All right. Uh, got a question here from Rick. He said, I just bought some crossbow and I will be spraying an area I just cleared of larger trees. That's uh, triclopyr and 2,4-D combo. He said, I was going to spray the smaller brush and the saplings. Some are near a row of young tubed chestnut trees that I want to keep, though. I'm wondering, will any of that triclopyr move through the ground, or do I just need to be cautious about not getting any on the foliage? If so... How close do you think I could get to those trees? (laughs) Oh, we hate questions like that. It's a tough one. Right. Whenever it's, how close can I get? It's just like the, uh, well, how windy uh, can it be and I can keep spraying? You know what I mean? The 2,4-D does concern us always because you've got the old 2,4-D in there. Yeah. So what about just using Remedy? Yes. Just going straight Remedy so you don't have any 2,4-D. Yes. That number one is going to help you. So now you don't have drift and volatility issues to deal with in a big way. So you could actually be closer now. With Remedy, we really don't see much soil activity out of it. So typically, uh, you're in good shape with what you hit and you're done. But as always, we have to tell you, read and follow label directions, and you should be in good shape. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, I get this one from, uh, uh, I can't read the name. It's in a different language. But he said, uh, you were talking about manure Wait, versus- so now you know how to speak another language? You well, can read the question I, in I another language. Say, or I was going to say, Tony? <laughs> I, I don't know how to read okay, that exactly, Anyway, but, go ahead. But the question's in English. He said, do you think about treating- what do you think about treating manure and turning it into compost by using yes. electromagnetic nanomill? It can fasten, it can make the process faster, even disinfect from things like bird flu, etc. But that's a good question. I don't I've know. Never heard we, of we haven't done that here, so yeah. yeah, nobody, nobody here has has done that before. So I don't have any. Oh wait, wait, wait! With None it. of us have done that before. I don't. Yeah, I. I nobody I don't. local here has done that. Yes. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. It'd be it'd be interesting to take a look at. I guess there's going to be a lot of new technologies, and certainly as as the size of some of these livestock operations grow, they're looking for every option they can but, have. But we do like composting somehow, some way. Hey, thanks for the question, though. We do appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday. 
for more Ag PhD Radio.